we invested so much emotions and so much pride and ego into not failing, something that should have failed a long time ago. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest Eric Bergman. Eric, are you ready to rock? I'm always ready to rock. Oh, yeah. That's the way it's happening. And ladies and gentlemen, you're going to want be ready to rock after listening to this. Let me tell you a bit about Eric. He started his career as a professional poker player as a teenager. Simultaneously, he founded his first companies and that's in plural, companies. In 2012, at age 24, he started Katina Media, a company that only three and a half years later would reach the Stockholm Stock Exchange with a $200 million valuation, and most of us would stop there. But no, he left Katina Media a few years ago, and today he is just starting up his latest project, Great.com. Check out that location. A company where just the name costs $900,000. And now he wants to do it all over again. But this time, give away 100% of the profits to charity. Eric, take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life. Wow, further tidbits. You got a lot there. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Swedish. I'm living in the teeny tiny little country Malta in the Mediterranean, where I've been the past... 10 years almost, starting to consider move back and create a family. Time to grow up. Uh, I've been down here taking risks at various scale a lot in the past couple of years. That's short about me. <laughs> What's it like living in Malta, by the way? So Malta is like a teeny tiny Silicon Valley for Scandinavians. I would say there is a lot of companies coming down here because it's a good, it's a sunny place. People speak English, it's simple bureaucracy and preferable tax systems. So that's how I ended up here from just wanting to go on an adventure. And it's really nice. Yes, because I would think that um, Stockholm and that surrounding area is pretty damn cold in the winter. At least it was the it last time I was there. <laughs> it is cold. And it, Malta like attracts people from everywhere. So it's a very fun community where so many people run often small sized companies down here. So mm. basically all my friends are north. Fantastic. All right. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. So I started thinking about what is the worst investment that I've ever did. And I've done quite a few. I went into crypto at the peak, almost lost a lot. I've done quite a few really shitty startup investments. But I ask myself, okay, Eric, so what, what is the worst possible investment to do? And I thought about that for a bit. And I realized that money I've lost a lot of times. But there are only once I felt that I lost health and really lost relationships. And that made it a way, way worse investment than any of the other things I, I've done. And this goes back to... 2012, 13, yeah, those years. I was throwing up a bit too many balls in the air, starting a lot of different projects. We had just taken on a venture capital firm and we started several different companies at the same time. Uh, one of which was working with the 
payday loans or small loans. And we were running a marketing company that had a lot of payday loans clients. So we decided to, okay, if we can do all this marketing, we might as well do it for ourselves. And it turned to be a really, well, it was much harder than we ever intended to be. We figured how hard can it be to, to create this? How hard can it do this? How tricky is it with licenses and stuff? And our first mistake was thinking it will be easy. It's never easy. And jumping into something with next to no understanding of what it is and with far too little research. So we started building this, this company and we started hiring people to run it. And very early we realized that this is so much harder than the when we fought, but we kept on going. And I hired one of my closest friends to be involved with running that company and a couple of others. And this company just never took off. We had so many technical issues. We had so many struggles. And my childhood friend, uh, Emil, who I founded all of the companies with, were born on the same day in the same hospital by parents who knew each other. He was in charge of the, of the technical side of this. And we were struggling a lot with the technical challenges. We built this big system. When we finally managed to get it up and rolling, we went into troubles with the bank. They didn't want to cooperate with us because we were competing with them. We couldn't really finance everything because all our, our own assets were allocated elsewhere. So we needed to find ways to fund this. And basically, whenever we managed to solve one knot, the next thing hit us and the next thing hit us. And it would take about a year before this become somewhat sustainable. And what happened then was that we, we were, I don't know how much money we had lost at the, well, invested at this time, hadn't lost it yet, but we, th there was a, a change in the legal requirements that forced us to change all of our uh, backups, well, all systems behind it, all, it was a, you had to get access to more data than we could do. So we had to change the entire backend of everything. And Emil, my, my business partner, he was overworked already. And he and two other people were in charge of running this. And those two people resigned. One of them, his girlfriend got pregnant and one of them just wanted to leave the country from Malta and move back home. So nothing to do with us, but he was left with this. And he had to rebuild everything. He worked day and night for weeks. I couldn't help him because I don't know anything about those things. But it ended up with him actually getting one system up together and it was just broken in so many ways because he didn't have the time, didn't have the energy, didn't have the possibility of fixing it. And it crashed within a week, two weeks from going up. So we had been struggling with this company for so long. We could finally see the light in the end of the tunnel. Then the legal requirement changed. He rebuilt the entire system on his own. It was a three-person job, and that failed. And it led into him completely crashing and burning personally. I wasn't aware of the shape he was in. I wasn't aware of the pressure he was in. But he didn't come back to, to work. He was completely blacked out. He hadn't slept for weeks, I found out later. He was going through a lot of mental things. And I had just been distracted looking at the numbers instead of being there with him, my oldest friend. 
and it would take him three years to fully recover. This was small side business financially compared to the bigger company that we did. But we invested so much emotions and so much pride and ego into not failing, something that should have failed a long time ago. We should have closed it down after three months. We kept on going, we kept focusing on it, and it cost us way more than money. We, the company went, we, we couldn't get it up and running after this. We ended up selling what was left of the database and some other things at significant loss. But what mainly took it was our relationship took a big, big turn. Pride and ego took a big, big turn, but that's just another story. It took me a long time to, to recover from this emotion as well, because I felt that Emil would not have cared that much about this project if, if I didn't. He wouldn't have pushed himself that much if I didn't push him. So a lot of his physical health and his emotional health was at stake because of my stupid ego, pride, greed, whatever it was. And I gave myself, I've still given myself a lot of guilt and shame over this and really found a good way of dealing with it. I see this as one of the darkest chapters, if not the darkest chapter of my, my business career so far, where I just had a way too narrow mind to, to deal with it. Mm. So the financial loss wasn't that significant. I've done a lot worse financial things, but I've never, or at least almost never, done something that put anyone else's health at risk, and especially not one of my absolute closest friends. I really want to thank you for sharing this story because I know myself, I've been in a similar situation, and I'm sure plenty of the listeners are caught up in the emotions of startup and all of that. And what we see on Instagram and what we see on the internet is all the exciting startup stuff, but actually the pain and suffering is massive. It can be massive. And I, I just share a story in 1995, I set up a coffee roasting factory together with my best friend Dale in Bangkok. And we were hit by the 97 crisis. We had to move into the factory just to try to survive, I lost my job at an investment bank. There were no jobs and there were no customers. We had to figure out how are we gonna survive for the next couple of years with just minimal sales. We had to move into the factory and at the, in, in August of 1998, my sister called and said her cancer came back and she was gonna die in, in a month, please come home. So I had to leave Dale in this awful situation, go home, my sister passed away a week later, I came back I was depressed, he was depressed, and we're in this foreign land, and it's just so difficult. And the economy had contracted by 11% in 1998, so it was massive. And I remember that Dale went into depression, and that was just, it was, he was really, really down. And I, the, the one thing that I did in that time that I'm glad I said is that, you know, you can stop any time it's not worth it, you know, for the money. And amazingly, he got started. I gave him a, a drum set for a birthday present at that time. He was a drummer, but he hadn't drummed for 10 years. And a friend of mine here was selling a 1950s vintage set in Bangkok. I bought it and I set it up upstairs in the house where we were. 
And Dale started playing drums. He started a jazz trio and he used music as his way of de-stressing. And that was one of many things that started to pull him out. But, you know, when you talk about the feelings, I, we definitely, you know, went through that. So I definitely appreciate it. I'm curious, what lessons did you learn from this experience? And I want you to think about it in terms of those people that are listening right now that are in the middle of it. What lessons did I learn? A lot of them, I would say. So what the first one that comes to mind is kill your darlings. And by that, I don't mean kill my friend, but kill the company. And once I realized that this is not going to fly, this is not going to work, I kept pouring money into it because I had already started. I kept pouring energy and, well, relationships into it because I already started. Instead of just taking one step back and say, is this really worth doing? And I probably would have gotten to the answer that no, it's not. But it's so hard to stop something that is started when money's on the line. It, if you put in 100,000 into something and it's gone, it's, it feels so much better to put in another 50,000 than to admit that you were wrong. At least that's been my experience, that that's how it's been for me. And just keep going. So I would, first thing I learned is step away from it, think about it. Would you really? Think about it as a new investment if you're putting in money into it again, not as the same investment, because the conditions might be completely different. Would you have put in 50,000 in this if you know what you know now, if it wasn't for the first 100K? So that's one of the things that, I, that I've learned from this. Second one is you have to really focus on what situation am I putting other people into this? Can I... How is this experience from his eyes What is or her eyes? What's going on through their lives? Especially if I'm pushing someone, if I'm a part of, of their experience, which I'm much, much likely is, um, see how can I experience this from their eyes to be better at assessing what's going on and what kind of things are, are happening. And the relationships are so much more important than, than the money is. And sure, it's easy for me to say after done a big exit and stuff, but it really is that, and when I look back at it, I don't regret the loss in terms of money, but I, I really regret how I dealt with my friend. So yeah, that's two of the main, main things I take with me. Got it. Let me summarize a couple of things I take away from the story. Um, the first thing is, you know, for everybody out there, it's, it's easy and it's fun to talk about the numbers and the growth and the opportunity and the, the agile, lean startup, all of those exciting things. But let's not forget that it's real people and real emotions, both yourself and others. So I think that's one that really you know, comes through. The other one is the overconfidence. And it's a common bias that we get overconfident that we can achieve something. And in fact, we take on things that maybe we can't really achieve. And so there's that challenge of trying to figure out, am I overconfident or not? And I think being open, you know, it's a hard thing because, you know, Eric, when you're in the middle of it, it's not, a, not something you really want to go into your company and say, you guys want to give up? Should we stop? Because then everything stops, you know? So like there's this, there's this driving, you know, like we got to keep pushing this thing. But the reality is what I learned from your story is that even if you individually have to step back and you don't necessarily share it with the others, step back 
and look at what you're doing. And I think that's a main, a main takeaway and, and the empathy that you get from what you describe. The final thing I would say is the idea of kind of zero-based thinking. And I, I remember a story of a guy from London, an investor that came to Thailand in about 1996. I was an analyst at the time and I was covering the banks. And he said, we went out to visit the banks and he said, what do you think about Bangkok Bank? And I said, well, its share price was 100, now it's 60, da, 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 da. And he said, stop, I don't care what happened to the share price yesterday or last year or last three years. The only thing I care about is what happens today. My portfolio is marked to market every single day. Whatever happened before is done. And therefore, his question to me is, knowing what you know now about Bangkok Bank, would you buy it now? And I think that's always a great question. Knowing what I know about this situation, would I enter it now if I wasn't in it? And if your answer is no, you've got some real thinking to do. And I think that's my main takeaway. Do you have anything to add? Uh, I think that's very good advice. Very good advice. <laughs> yeah. So based on what you've learned from this story and what you have continued to learn over time, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? They are in your, your seat and your friend's seat. The pressure's on. You know, you're pushing ahead. What is the one thing that you think they should do? Ironically, my favorite advice to give people is to just begin. Don't overthink things, which is something that puts me in these kind of situations. So right now it feels like a really shitty advice. I'm going to stick with that one. Just whatever it is that you're dreaming about or thinking about, ask yourself, what's the smallest step I can take towards that and, mm. and just start doing it? And what would have been even smarter then is to add another layer of this. So begin it, but don't be afraid to quit if it feels like it's not working out. That's what I've learned later in the journey. So I've started by starting everything. And then I've learned that, yeah, sometimes you need to step out of the game as well and, and kill your darlings. But I think it's important not to hear a story like this and see that as a reason of not doing things. I, I love building things. I love starting companies. I love all of these things around it. and the biggest reason people don't do it is usually that they don't just try. So if anyone listening have a business idea, whatever it might be, start and then quit if it doesn't work out. It's much easier to quit once you've started than it is to quit before you started. I mean, it doesn't make sense. So combine the two. Got it. Okay. And last question, what's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Yes, as you mentioned in the introduction, I've bought a domain name called great.com about a year ago. And now I'm building that into a lifelong company's intention where 100% of the profit will go to charity. And my number one goal is to find someone who will help to really build that project with me, someone who can be a COO, CPO, CEO, whatever the title might be who really resonates with the, the ideas that we have and how we want to build this, because I can't build it myself. I need someone really good to build it with, someone who's technical, emotion intelligent, and long-term strategic. And for anyone interested in that, you can check out our podcast, Becoming Great, on great.com. And that will be my main goal for this year is to find the perfect partner for this. I I think you will. And I think 
the people listening as well as others will also understand that you're the perfect person to work with now that you've been through your worst investment ever. So that's the key. What did we learn? What did you learn? And you learned a lot. So, all right, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. In addition, if you or someone you know has a story to tell, just click on the social media or email icon of your choice in the upper right-hand corner of myworstinvestmentever.com, and that will go directly to me. As we end, Eric, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about your losers and I feel some pain even saying that uh, but our listeners are learning to win as a result do you have any parting words for the audience I'm happy to be here I really love the approach of tackling the the worst parts of investing and the worst parts of, of being an entrepreneur yep. so thank you for having me my pleasure well that's a wrap on another great story to help us create grow and most importantly protect our well fellow risk takers I'll see you on the upside.